like to talk today about what I think is one of the most damaging qualities a Christian could allow into their lives, and that is bitterness. How do we know if we're bitter towards somebody? If you say, well, I don't, I don't want to talk about them. There's something wrong there. Or I, don't bring him up or don't bring her up. There's an issue. Or uh, I don't want to think about them. Or if we talk poorly of them to others, those are all telltale signs that we have an issue with somebody. We are bitter toward them. And the problem with that bitterness is it will destroy us. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bible squeeze at this time and turn to the book of Hebrews, if you would, and the 12th chapter. Hebrews chapter 12. I'd like to talk today about what I think is one of the most damaging qualities a Christian could allow into their lives, and that is bitterness. Bitterness. I started talking about this at the midweek services last week, and there's just so much on this subject in the Bible, we continue on with it today. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. We find a very vivid, graphic illustration in the Bible of the irreparable damage that bitterness can do. And we're going to be talking about it as we talk about the Bible's blueprint for beating bitterness. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we do ask you now, Lord, to help us to listen carefully. And Father, please deal with us. Help us, dear Lord, to look within, examine, and cross-check our, our own hearts, and be honest to know if there is truly any bitterness within ourselves. Father, we pray now for you to help us to have it purged by your grace, and we'll thank you for it. We pray now all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was talking to a fellow who's been a Christian quite a while, just this last week. We were talking about a mutual acquaintance. Neither of these are church folks here, so don't try and guess who I'm talking about. But to the gentleman I was talking about, I asked him about a very close friend of his, in fact, a prayer partner of his. And uh, he said, well, we don't fellowship anymore. And he went on to explain uh, about a falling out that they had and and how this other person is uh, mad at him now. He's, he has nothing against him, bears no animosity, but the other gentleman uh, will not talk to him, and yet is uh, very proud of his prayer life. Well, let me just say this to you. If there's a bitterness issue, forget about praying. The, the prayers are going to be bouncing off the ceiling. In fact, we read in Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If there's bitterness in our heart, we can pray, but God is not going to hear us. So it behooves us to recognize it and resolve it. Jesus said, if you have aught against your brother, go first. Note those two words. Go first and be reconciled, and then come and bring your gift and so on. So what does it mean to be bitter, to have aught against your brother? 
Well, it'd be like this. If I gave you a banana and you bit into it, you'd go, hmm, sweet. If I gave you an apple and you bit into it, you'd go, hmm, yummy. If I gave you a grape, sweet grapes, and you bit into them, jump, plump, juicy grapes, you'd say, this is very delicious. If I gave you a lemon and you bit into it, what kind of a face would you make? Yuck, right? Why? Because the lemon's bitter. It really sums it up so well. We know what it means to be bitter. But how do we know if we're bitter towards somebody? Well, if the thought of them just kind of causes that same look on your face, then it's never been healed. If you say, well, I don't, I don't want to talk about them. There's something wrong there. Or I, don't bring him up or don't bring her up. There's an issue. Or uh, I don't want to think about them. Or if we talk poorly of them to others, those are all telltale signs that we have an issue with somebody. We are bitter toward them. In other words, it's still bothering us. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 14.10, the heart knoweth his own bitterness. We know if we're bitter. Sometimes we have to look really deep within, but if we look at those signs when it comes to a particular person, thinking of them, speaking of them, we know we're bitter. The heart knoweth its own bitterness. And the problem with that bitterness is it will destroy us. Have you ever put gasoline in a styrofoam cup and set it on a shelf? I have. You know, I thought, hey, I'll just come back and, you know, use it up later on or clean out something in it. But it dissolves the styrofoam. What a picture of what bitterness does to us. If we try and be a vessel for it, it will eat us up. It will destroy us. That's what hate will do. That's what ill will will do. That is what uh, hostility and, and malice and animosity towards someone will do. It'll be just like that gasoline in the styrofoam cup, and it'll eat us up. So as we talk about bitterness, let me just point out several things about it. And the first one is what I call the confusion of bitterness. The confusion of bitterness. Bitterness quite often is undetected, and it goes undetected. We don't even realize it's there, and sometimes even discerning people don't catch it. You know, Philip went and he evangelized the region of Samaria, and he led a fellow by the name of Simon in a profession of faith. Everything looked good on the outside, but Peter came to town, maybe a bit more mature, a bit more discerning, and he saw something in Simon the sorcerer that he pointed out in Acts 8.23. He said, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. I don't think anyone else had detected it, maybe not even Simon himself. Peter did. And so it's, it's often undetected. I talked this last week about a survey that was taken, and the, the several top reasons were mentioned why people are bitter. Uh, number one, and I'm not sure this is in any order, but, but some kid grew up feeling that he did not get enough time to spend with his parents. Normally a boy with a dad or a girl with a, a mom or sometimes a girl with her father. And so that time was not there, and that child grows up, and now he's bitter about that. Secondly, there's the old sibling rivalry syndrome, where uh, one child was treated better or favored or the pet of mom or dad, and so that other one grows up now, and they're bitter. Third reason is a leader disappointed you. It could be any kind of a leader, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, quite often a parent, but somebody let you down. Or at least we think they let us down. A leader disappointed us, and it makes us bitter. Fourthly, lack of parental uh, approval. In other words, a kid grows up, tries to do everything right, cleans the whole kitchen, leaves the dish rag hanging in the corner in the wrong place, and instead of mom acknowledging the right, they acknowledge the wrong. It could be anything. It could be the old report card. But whatever it is, that child could just not 
win over mom and dad's approval. And now they grow up bitter about it. Fifthly, physical abuse. Sadly, it goes on. And I said this, God has provided uh, discipline according to the Bible, but going beyond that is uh, unheard of and and should be in the the, uh, Christian home. So there is a physical abuse. There's also emotional abuse, which can be even worse. And then there is, uh, in this day and age, especially sexual abuse. It's so rampant. It's, It's awful. It's horrible. And so the child grows up bitter. And they're a bitter adult now. Uh, Number seven, we don't get what we want. We have these expectations. We have these ideals, but they're unfulfilled. And when they are, we get bitter because we didn't get what we wanted. Number eight, jealousy. Jealousy makes us bitter. Rejection also makes us bitter. So we talked about all these things. But what is the confusion about bitterness? Well, here it is. We hate the sinner instead of the sin. That's where we get backwards in our thinking. We end up hating that person instead of the sin of that person. We despise them. We uh, lack maturity in the process. That is not the biblical approach to it. God loves the sinner. God hates the sin. Let's never forget that. God so loved the world, and that includes a lot of sinners, that He sent His only begotten Son. So God loves the sinner, but He hates their sin. So if an employer abuses an employee, you don't hate the employer. You hate their sin, the sin. If a wife sins against her husband, you don't hate the wife. You hate the sin. If a child sins against a parent, you don't hate the child. You hate the sin. Be angry at the sin. Show maturity, not the sinner. Sin is temporary insanity. (laughs) The more I I, I look at it, the the longer I'm in the ministry, the longer I'm saved, it really is temporary insanity. I'm not excusing anyone for their behavior, but, but be assured it is temporary insanity. Learn to hate the sin and not the sinner. You know, when it comes to unwanted circumstances, we need to also understand that God allowed them. And we talked about that earlier today. I won't repeat that message. But understand that God did allow that into our lives. God lifted His hedge and let it in to grow us and to mature us and to build us. And so when it happens, don't get bitter. I was thinking, in fact, as we planned the next building, I was really thinking about this building. I was looking around it the other day, and and, and, and somebody came to mind that I did business with, nobody in town, but but a, a contractor that I did business with back in those days who was, was crooked, he was a liar, uh, he was a cheat. Let me just say he put me through the mill, and I won't even get into it, but I had to comp- compensate for his dishonesty. And I'm telling you, there were... There were nights when I lay in bed thinking about this guy and and, and having a hard time not hating him. Somebody will do you dirty. Well, God allows that. Just remember that. God is growing us up, and God used that to grow me up. And God in His great love will allow that into the life of a Christian. So don't hate the sinner. Hate the sin. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.16, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, and it goes off and and rattles these seven sins off, but not the sinner themselves, but the sin. You know, I said again, sin is temporary insanity. Child molestation is insanity. Uh, They abused Jesus Christ. He didn't hate them. He said, Father, forgive them. He hated their sin. He, He died for their sin. So we see the confusion of bitterness. But secondly, we see the consequences 
of bitterness. And boy, I'm telling you, there are some high consequences. Bitterness closes off the Spirit. It really shuts the door to where we can't function as Christian people. We can't serve even as Christian people. That, that bitterness is there. I said a moment ago, we can't really even pray effectively. We find our prayers to be unanswered at such a time. Jesus said in Luke eleven four, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Notice the correlation there. Forgive us as we forgive. But if we don't forgive, we have bitterness in our heart and our prayers are not going to be answered. It's hard to pray when we're bitter. It's hard to read the Bible when we're bitter. It's, it's hard to love. It's hard to do anything spiritually when we're bitter. There's some really serious consequences of bitterness. Now, we find some examples of bitterness in different areas as we study the Bible. I think of one uh, who's a lady, uh, a childless woman, a gal by the name of Hannah, who really wanted a child more than anything. That's all she could think about. She had a loving husband. She had a nice home. She lived in a great country. She had a lot of friends. She had food. She had, you know, and it's like that. We can have nine wonderful things, but this one thing we're lacking is the thing that consumes us. And this childless thing consumed her thinking, and she was bitter about it. We read in 1 Samuel 1.10 that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Hannah had a bitter issue. Joab certainly had a bitter issue in the Bible. He was David's general, kind of the, uh, the, the first in charge of the army. And, and he had a younger brother by the name of Asahel that was killed in battle. It was in war by another general by the name of Abner who warned Azahel to leave me alone, go fight with somebody else. I don't want to kill you. I don't want to get Joab ticked off at me. But young Azahel was feeling his oats and he was out of his league and he went after the, the big guy and he got killed in the process. And we find that Abner is now on Joab's mud list. There's this battle that ensues and, and they were about to wipe each other out and Abner called it off. Abner said to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? And it was. These are both Jewish men, really. Uh, they should have been allies. They were fellow countrymen, if you will. But we find out that Joab stays bitter, and he ends up uh, giving Abner the, the, the spear under the fifth rib, not at a time of war, and killing him because he could not get over his bitterness. There was Job, not Joab, but Job who was suffering immeasurably, and we read in Job 7 and verse 11, he says, Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Joab was in the bitterness, or Job was in the bitterness of, of soul at that time. And then we read about Esau right here in our text. Notice in verse 15, it says, Looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God. In other words, the grace of God should enable us to get over our bitterness, but we fail of the grace of God when we don't. It goes on and it says, lest any root of bitterness, notice how it starts small, springing up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And then it goes on and says, in context, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. It mentions that Esau is a profane person here, and it mentions even fornication in the same verse. I don't know why it is. I can't fully explain it, but I often find that immorality is linked to bitterness. Just something about if that's the best God can do, then I'm just going to go out and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Never forget that. Immorality 
is often linked to bitterness. Now, again, we know if there's bitterness there. We saw it a moment ago. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. Now, here's the the issue. Ultimately, God is blamed. Ultimately, the the bitterness is deflected from that particular person to, to the God who allowed that person to do that to us. The Bible says in Lamentations 3.15, He, God, hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. Wormwood is a very, very bitter liquid. And the prophet here is saying, God has made me bitter. We find here the consequences of a bitterness and quite simply put, self-destruction is the consequence. Self-destruction. Back in World War II, there was a U.S. submarine by the name of of Tang. The Tang had done uh, quite a a few uh, missions, raiding missions, and had uh, torpedoed quite a few things, and it was down to its its last eight torpedoes. It was off the coast of China when it caught up with a a fleet of Japanese ships. So it surfaced, and it had to be careful because it only had eight torpedoes, and it launched the first one, and wow, it was a strike. Blew it up. Launched the second one, same, same result. Launched the third, fourth, and fifth torpedoes, and they all hit their marks. Launched the sixth and the seventh. Success. It had one torpedo left, and there on the surface it launched it, and something went wrong, and it went out, and it started in a wide arc, and they could see what was going to happen. It was going to come right back at the tang. And so they said, uh, dive, dive, dive. And they closed the hatch and they tried to do everything they could to get underneath the surface, but it was too late. The torpedo came back and blew up the submarine. That's what bitterness does. Self-destruction. We destroy ourselves. I was talking last week about how 75% of what the doctors call gastronomical illnesses can be related to the emotions not necessarily something physical, but something emotional that caused the physical problem. So stress, obviously, would be one. Think of all these things, and modern medicine even, even says this, bitterness causes things like backaches, headaches, ulcers, high blood pressure, stroke, a heart attack. It, it produces these stress hormones, and, and they, they, they toxify the body and poison the system because of bitterness. You know, they say if you corner a rattlesnake, it'll get so frenzied that it'll start biting itself. What a picture what bitterness does. Self-destruction. Notice verse 15 here. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up. Notice it says, trouble you. It's like that snake attacking itself. That bitterness, it attacks us. We can't enjoy our life. We can't control our thoughts, we're consumed by bitterness. It causes fatigue. It causes depression. You know, the enemy, quote-unquote, can be miles away from us, miles away from our bedroom as we lay in our bed at night and we stew and stew and stew on our own bed, which becomes a rack of torture because of the bitterness we feel toward this person who's miles away. I got an email from somebody just a few weeks ago, and I didn't even tell my wife about it. And I'm not going to tell you who it was from, but uh, it was someone from the old days, I'll just say that, who wrote and said, uh, Pastor Skeving, I've been bitter at you for over 10 years. And they went on to explain a, a sermon that I'd preached that they were just sure that when I used this illustration in that particular sermon, that I was talking about them. I wasn't. In fact, I had to write back and explain what I was talking about. 
And then they wrote back and they went, oh, sorry. But I thought to myself, this person has spent over 10 years hating me for something that didn't even happen. And I didn't even know about it. It is possible for that to happen. We see the consequences of of, of bitterness. And when we hate somebody, we become his slave. Or we become her slave. We're the one that's put out. By the way, a, a lot of suicides can be linked to bitterness. Did you know that? It's a subtle form of revenge. I'm going to get even with that person. I'm going to take my life. Won't they be sorry? Bitterness. Imagine killing yourself over bitterness. Now, there's another consequence about bitterness, and here it is. Listen carefully. When we're bitter towards somebody, you know what often happens? We become like that person. We actually become like the person we are mad at. You know, I had the opportunity to watch my favorite film here about a week or so ago. I watch it every year at this time of the year. It's a wonderful life. Ah, what a classic. And I love the part where, where George Bailey tells off Mr. Potter. He says, uh, you're nothing but a warped, twisted, frustrated old man. And he just tells him off and he leaves. And then some years go by and, and life puts George through the ringer. And now he's sitting on their side of the desk of Potter. He, he's, he's groveling for a loan and And Potter says, I remember when you called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? You know, we often become like the person we're bitter toward, don't we? We don't even realize it's happening here. I have seen so many times where where, where somebody was molested growing up and they're bitter toward that that person that did that, and then they grow up and turn around and do the same thing. They become a carbon copy in so many different ways of the very person they're bitter toward. Maybe a parent raised a child in anger and and, uh, that child grows up now and they're bitter at that parent, but guess what they turn around and do? It's like a vampire biting somebody else and infecting them and they turn around and bite somebody else. Now that child is is an angry adult who turns around and is angry toward their children. It had happens. The cycle continues. And that's what verse 15 says again. Notice it looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, now watch this, and thereby many be defiled. It defiles others. And by the way, that's the reason we need to learn to hate the sin and not the sinner. To get over bitterness, we're going to have to die to some things. We're going to have to die to past feelings, We're going to have to die to what people are saying. We're going to have to die to what people are thinking. We're going to have to die to what people uh, do to us. The Bible says in Romans 8.13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. It's talking about putting to to death that that wrong thinking, that, that wrong heart, that bitterness If you live after the flesh, if you continue in that bitterness, you're going to die. It's going to kill us. But if ye, notice, through the Spirit, and only God can help us, do mortify, and that word means put to death, mortify the deeds of the body, including that bitterness, ye shall live. The key to it all is dying to self. I went to a a funeral with my wife here about a week ago, and and it's somebody we've both known for years, kind of a a relative of of a sibling more than anything, but just somebody dear to the family. And, and uh, walked in, and, and I saw the dear lady in the casket there and, and uh, walked up and, and, and just kind of, um, you know, said our farewells and so on. 
You know, I could have uh, insulted her while I was standing over her. Would I have offended her? No. You know why? She's dead. You see? You can't hurt a dead piece, a person's feelings. You, you can't offend a dead person. If we would just die to self, you know, ego, pride, and, 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 and selfishness and all that, you couldn't offend us. I couldn't offend her if I wanted to. That's what it means to die to self. We see the consequences of bitterness. Thirdly, let's talk about the comparison for bitterness or of bitterness. Here it is. In Hebrews 4 and in verse number 15, the Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. It's kind of a double way of saying, look, we have somebody, our high priest, at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, who understands what it feels like to have flesh, to come to this earth, to live a life down here, and was touched with all the feelings of our infirmities, I love this part, yet without sin. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what it felt like. Uh, and In fact, if anyone was used and abused, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was dead to self. Paul was used and abused, but he was pretty much dead to self. In Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Notice, Christ first, and then Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And then he said, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are we crucified with Christ? The Bible puts it this way. We put to death the old man, the old Adamic, the old uh, Adam's nature, that old man, and we've crucified it, and so we no longer get offended. Jesus Christ is our comparison. Paul compared himself to Christ. Imagine the abuse that Christ suffered. You know, we could go to Isaiah 53 and, and read about his sufferings. We could uh, look in Isaiah 52, 14. We could, we could look at Isaiah... We could look at uh, uh, the Gospels in so many places and see him harassed and, and lied about. And, and, and was he bitter about any of that? In fact, when they, they hung him up on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How could he overcome all of that? How can we overcome all that? Well, make Christ our comparison. The reason Christ went to that cross was to reconcile us to God. We have a heavenly Father who longs for reconciliation. Uh, our pattern does not stay bitter. In Romans 5 and in verse number 10, it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Notice that word reconciled twice there. And it doesn't say when we were friends of God and on board and partners. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by His death, the death of His Son. And much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The truth is, God longs for reconciliation. We have a heavenly Father who wants relationships reconciled. That's why he says so much about reconciliation in the Bible. And we need to forgive, and we need to keep on forgiving. You know, I've read a lot about Abraham Lincoln. He was a very, very long-suffering and a forgiving man. Very unusual man. He really was. I've tried to determine whether he got saved there during his presidency. Good chance he may have gotten saved actually toward the end. But he was a very forgiving man all along. 
When he was assassinated, and I think it was April 15th or 14th, I think he was assassinated on the 14th, died on the 15th of, uh, of uh, 1865. I've been to the Ford Theater uh, several times in, in Washington. It's probably my favorite spot to tour when I go to D.C. But uh, I've been to the very bed where he died, the pillow there, the bloodstain still on it, all that. But as he lay there dying, his wife was sobbing, and the bodyguard, who should have been watching him the night that John Wilkes Booth shot him, walked in, and, and all of a sudden she looked at him and she said, how could you have left your post? And he had. And he just sobbed. He said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And she said, well, I forgive you, she said, but I don't forgive the man who did this. And Tad Lincoln, young Tad, was probably 12 at the time, and he looked over at his mother and he said, oh, Ma, you've got to forgive him. If, if dad were uh, awake right now, he would forgive him. He said, Pa forgave everybody. And it was true. Pa forgave everybody. Bible says in Proverbs twenty five twenty one, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. That's forgiveness. Now, the person we're bitter at obviously offended us somehow. And in our mind as an enemy... But it says, if an enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. That's what Jesus Christ did. What was the secret of Christ, by the way? I think it was a, a daily walk. Though he was the Son of God, he still arose early. Uh, a great while before day, he got away and he spent time with the Heavenly Father. There was obviously even a daily walk in the life of the Son of God. That's what we need. Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There are two forces within us, if you want to put it that way. In fact, the old, uh, the old saved Indian called it a black dog and a white dog as he was telling the missionary about this inner turmoil he, he had within him. And he, he said, whichever dog I feed wins. And so we need to feed the good side, the new nature, the Christ-like nature, and starve the Adamic nature. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Romans 12, 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We find some folks in the Bible that overcame evil with good. Stephen was one of them. They were stoning him to death, and he said, Forgive them. Paul and Silas were a couple. When they were beaten and thrown in the stocks, they, they praised God and, and sang songs at midnight. Of course, Joseph, we looked at him earlier. And by the way, if these men had not had that forgiving spirit, think of those like the Philippian jailer and, and, and Paul himself when Stephen was stoned and others who would have died lost and gone to hell. It's very important that we get over bitterness, isn't it? The unsaved are counting on it. You say, but it's not fair. It's, it's not fair. What they did was awful. They deserve to pay for it. Well, that may be true, but Romans twelve nineteen says, Dearly beloved, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Notice, God says vengeance is His. He will repay, saith the Lord. Let God take care of it. By the way, that, that contractor that I mentioned a moment ago that put me through the mill back when we were building this place died in several months after that took place. I've never even told anybody that. I think my wife knows it. But God will take vengeance, okay? And not that we're looking for it. And not that we gloat. Be careful not to gloat when it happens. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-four seventeen, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, 
And let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him. And so when we're bitter towards somebody and something bad happens to them, don't go, goody, goody. Uh, they, they had that coming. I'm glad. No. The Bible says the Lord will see it and it will displease him. Don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. Bitterness dies hard. It's kind of like a stray dog that keeps following us home. We can't get rid of it, right? So we see the comparison. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to, to try and emulate him. Finally, we see the conquering of it. The conquering of bitterness. Now, we're told in Ephesians 4 and verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Notice, get rid of it. Put it away from you. We cannot get victory over it, though, until we admit we have an issue. That's quite often the problem. We have this issue with bitterness. Look in the Psalms, if you would. Psalm 139. So, step number one, ask God to show you if you're bitter. I've asked God to show me if I'm bitter more than once, and it's surprising what He'll show us. In Psalm 139, a very familiar little passage, just a couple of verses, verses 23 and 24, the psalmist honestly says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Notice, show me, search me, try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. So we ask God to show us if there's an issue, really. In, in Psalm 51, we won't all turn there together, but we know that David has blown it with Bathsheba. And in verse number 3, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So we have to admit it. We can't be in denial God accepts no excuses, by the way, for bitterness, no, no matter how unjust it was. God doesn't buy it, plain and simple. So we confess it as sin. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sin. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Plain and simple. So we have to confess it. Look in Proverbs. I'm sorry, look, look in the Psalms again. Psalm 32. If we're going to prosper, we have to confess our sin of bitterness. I've yet to see a bitter Christian prosper, by the way. I've yet to see it happen. In Psalm 32, beginning in verse 3, the psalmist describes the feelings of bitterness. He said, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. He's talking about the conviction of God for his sin. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. And there is a little interlude, a musical interlude right there. As he is poetically describing here what it felt like to be in denial over some sin in his heart. Might well have been bitterness. Verse 5 he said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Oh, it had to feel good, because sin is such a poison, such a cancer. And and it really hinders our walk with the Lord. So we must be willing to say, I was wrong. There has to be a transparency, I was wrong. Now, let me just say that if that person that you're bitter toward, doesn't even realize there's an issue. And I mentioned this individual for years, 
been bitter toward me. I didn't know about it. What can happen if you go and confess it to them and they don't even realize it as they can turn around and go, I didn't realize it. It's your problem. So it might not be a good idea. And you know if they know. If they don't know, then deal with it between you and God. But if they know, then you probably need to go to them and, and confess it. And by the way, don't do it this way. You were a jerk, but I forgive you. Forget it. That doesn't work, okay? You're obviously still bitter, <laughs> all right? So you confess it as sin. Secondly, you give thanks for it. I know that's hard to do, but the Bible tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. doesn't say in some things or most things, but in everything give thanks, even over what happened, which you don't understand. The Bible mentions even offering up a sacrifice of praise or praising God when it's hard to do, plain and simple. Look, Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Do we really believe that? That all that works together for good. Now let me just say thirdly, realize that God is not bitter at us for what we've done to Him. Think of how bitter He could be for our past sin, our present sin for that matter. That, that sin that put Christ on the cross caused His Son to suffer so for us. But He's not bitter toward us. And then, fourthly and finally, walk in the Spirit. And we've talked about this already. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans thirteen fourteen. Walk in the Spirit. Satan cannot touch us unless we allow him to. And nobody can destroy us but us. And we often destroy ourselves through bitterness. And so really, it, it comes down to making a decision that no matter what, no matter what, I have got to forgive this person. And when those feelings well up again and they crop up again, we have to die to self again and forgive that person all over again. Look, this isn't heaven. And uh, it's far from it. People are far from perfect. We're all depraved. As one preacher put it from this pulpit years ago, we're all a bunch of jerks. And that's the truth, isn't it? Uh, We don't like to hear that, but it's really the truth. We're far from perfect. We're depraved. And so we're going we're gonna to blow it. We're going to offend people. And so let's forgive as we hope to be forgiven, bottom line. And, and when we find ourselves drifting, maybe remember what we've talked about today and, and look at the Bible's blueprint for beating bitterness. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.